Are you ready? Yeah. Are you with it? Yeah. Okay, let's go. You know what to do. The whole world's watching and counting on you. And all you people listening out there, everybody, everywhere. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Welcome to Checkered Past, a loving postmodern examination of the Go-Go Check branded comic magazines published by DC Comics between February 1966 and August 1967. I'm Dr. Bob, and each week I'll be your guide on this trippy tour through 535 mid-century masterpieces of graphic noveldom. This week, Action Comics number 340, cover date August 1966, cover price 12 cents, cover artists Kurt Swan and George Klein, edited by Mort Weisinger, featuring Power of the Parasite, written by James Shooter, art by Al Plastino, and The Supergirl Identity Hunt, written by Leo Dorfman, art by Jim Mooney, Plus, episode two of Three Girls, Their Lives, Their Loves, performed for you today by the Girls Young Romance True Love Story iPhone Voice Memo Players, the eastern panhandle of West Virginia's only iPhone Voice Memo theatrical troupe. Are you ready? Are you with it? Then away we go-go! Wonder what you gonna do when the morning light comes shining through. You thought about it all last night until darkness turned into light. After Superman finishes an experiment with radioactive materials, Jensen, the lab assistant, is assigned to dispose of them. But he opens the container and is irradiated by atomic particles, soon discovering that though disfigured, he can drain energy from people. Meanwhile, Linda Danvers attends a reunion at Midvale Orphanage. One of the former orphans, Philip Raines, suspects one of the girls attending the reunion might be Supergirl. Working with a blackmailer, Raines tries to expose Linda's secret. Concerned? Don't worry, I'll be right back with Dr. Husband to explain everything. Each night I ask the stars up above, why must I be an orphan of I didn't see you there. Hello! Well, you know what day this is. This is? January 23rd. Yes. It's our 150th episode. That's a sesquicentennial. How in God's name did we ever record that many episodes? I don't know. Well, we haven't yet. We've actually only recorded 149. You know what I Plus mean. Plus a couple of guest spots. But yeah, I know what you mean. Unbelievable to me. If we make that- it to the end of this one... God willing, to make it into what one? This, this episode. Oh, we will. Are you sure? Oh, hell yes. I don't know. It's awfully cold outside. I'm what if the so pipes excited. freeze or something? No, the pipes aren't going to freeze in this house, not like in our other house. It snowed, what, a week ago? Mm-hmm. And then it rained and uh-huh. turned to ice. Mm-hmm. And it's still just a solid sheet of ice all over the land. Yes, it is. Yeah, I was just out today playing yeah. disc golf for the yes. first time. Uh, with some friends, mm-hmm. and um, I had a great time, and I think I found a new 
outdoor thing that you would enjoy doing because you can. Well, let's back you know, up. Back up. What, what, what? You have friends. Uh, actually, they're your friends. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> who happen to like me too. So, um, so yeah, I had a great time, and um, and uh, I think you would like it too because you can go along at your own pace, and and it's fun and it's it's great. Are there hills? Uh, yes, there are. And do you have to... But you don't have to go on a course that has hills. Okay. Do you have to throw something that then has to hit something else? Yes. I'm out. What? I can't... I can't aim. You can... You can totally aim. And it's fine. Trust me. It's... It... One of our friends is quite good. And the rest of us are like, yeah, we're okay. You know, so... Whatever. Doesn't it doesn't matter? It's just just great. It was fun, and we talked, and we walked in the snow, and it was you know it's just like that that ice uh, is all crusty. Mm-hmm. It's it's awful. I can't wait, and I don't know how long it's going to be before it warms up again. Well, I would say April. <laughs> yeah, the snow's going to be around for a while. I will. Uh, I'll wait till it warms up and reassess my feelings. What are we drinking today? We're drinking a butter beer, which is one shot of vanilla vodka, mm-hmm. three quarter shot of Butter shots, mm-hmm. schnapps. I'd put maybe half a shot next time. Okay. Yep. And uh, cream soda. It's quite good. Although I haven't had a sugary soda in I don't know how long. Yeah, you're going to be bouncing up the walls. Or a sleep or in crash, five minutes. Crash in about five minutes, yeah. Well, our podcast began three years ago with an issue of Action Comics featuring a Superman story. Mm -hmm. and a Supergirl story, which centered around an orphanage. And here we are back again. At the orphanage. At the orphanage with Action Comics. In the second story, yes. And a Superman story. Yeah, yeah. And we really now are seeing the difference between the old school and the new school. Because the Superman story, introducing the parasite... Mm-hmm. Is written by 14-year-old James Shooter, what? who has already started his run on adventure comics with the Legion of Superheroes. Wow. Um, he Shooter says his inspiration for the villain, the Parasite, was learning about parasites in his ninth grade biology class. <laughs> you know biology. That's right after yogurt time. This was uh, written by a 14-year-old? Yeah. Yes, we've discussed him when he appeared before, but you may not remember. I, I encounter so many things. He started writing for DC Comics when he was 13. He wrote, most notably, The Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, you remember when they introduced the new Karate Kid and Princess Projectra, yes. etc. That mm-hmm. was his story. Okay. And it was uh, much different in tone than one was what was happening previously. Okay. And I would argue that this Superman story is also very different. slightly different in tone. Okay. Still slightly. Has some um, goofy which, things. Yeah. Anyway, Action Comics number 340 with an extra double page pinup of Superman. <laughs> the parasite is punching Superman through a brick wall on the cover. The parasite is a purple creature with green shorts. And a zipper up his chest, which doesn't seem to be connected to any fabric. It's a, yeah, it's a blue stripe with a black line down the middle. It, I would, a zipper is an excellent way to describe it, but it's not that. Unless he's just wearing like a purple leotard over his 
skin, which is also purple. No, that is scar tissue. He's been horribly burned. But, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, I, I, don't, know how you put the, I don't know how you put the costume on. Well, the costume's just under shorts. Like, modern. No, I mean, like, that. he does not have his... Uh, uh, anything stretched over his body, you know, spandex or nylon or whatever the hell it is. That's, there's no way from head to toe that he's wearing a full body suit. Well, are you, are we agreeing to disagree? Yes. Okay. Uh, he says, come on, Superman, fight back. The more energy you use, the faster I can drain your strength into my body. Hmm. Presenting the most dangerous villain Superman has ever faced in the the power power of the the parasite. parasite. He, he feeds, feeds on, on living, living energy. Introducing the most powerful foe Superman has ever faced. This time, the Man of Steel battles a human parasite who feeds on living energy like a vampire sucks blood. And not even Superman is mighty enough to resist the strength sapping power of the parasite great planets. The narrator is right. Superman can feel himself weakening already, but he must find a way to stop the parasite, even if it costs me my life. Right. One day, as Superman concludes an atomic project at a government lab. Look at that. These, uh, those radioactive elements from another galaxy would kill a normal person in seconds, but Superman doesn't even bother with shielding. Okay, first, that's not safe because he's going to get something on his costume or something and take it outside of the lab and poison the city with it. Right. Also, what is he doing with acid? I don't know, melting something? I don't know. Uh, luckily, Superman decontaminated himself and sealed the atomic waste in a radiation-proof container. Mm-hmm. And lab worker Jensen, who's a loafer <laughs> because his boss calls him one, Mm-hmm is ordered to take the container to the Waste Disposal Center. I wonder what this Waste Disposal Center is, where it is. You yeah, know, is what it is. like a, uh, you know, in the bathrooms, they have those needle dispensers. For right, like uh, Sharps, Sharps a Sharps dispenser? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is it's it probably something like that. It's probably in the men's room. Yeah, probably. You just take the radioactive waste down there. Or like a like a trash chute. You just like dump it down in the trash chute, and then it gets burned, and then, and then the fumes go out above the building. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now... We, we see that he is a loafer and he also hates his boss because he's uh, indignant about being told to do something. But he was fired from three jobs last yeah. year. He so, got three jobs in one year. Listen, as you know, yeah. I work adjacent to the government. Okay. You can't just be fired from three jobs and then get another job in the government. No. Even though you're like a janitor. No. You have to get a security clearance. And handle top secret, you know, radioactive waste. Yes, you can't have bad credit. It's not, you can't just waltz in and say, I'd like to clean up the lab, please. Well, maybe things have changed now because of what they used to, how lax things were in the 60s. Well, why would it be lax? This was the Cold War. There could have been Russian agents coming in. You sound like me. Well. Poking holes in things. How things have changed in 150 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> now, this, um... Lab worker Jensen has also heard that sometimes they ship payrolls inside of radioactive waste containers to fool crooks. So he's just going to open it up and peek inside. How's that going to work out for you, Jensen? Well, let's turn to page and see. Well, uh, no, he's horribly burned by radiation. His skin turns purple. 
Presumably, his, all most of his features have been blurred. Melted, melted. Yes. His face has been melted, like uh, in Indiana Jones. He's lost his hair. Yes, and his eyeballs and ears and any discernible features, and most of his skin has been melted over the top of his mouth, so it looks like he's wearing a stocking cap. Yes. He's very lucky he can still see. He apparently has no eyeballs to see, but he can see. Maybe he's got mental powers and he can see with his mind. Who knows? Maybe he's a clicker. Maybe he listens and he goes... Now, he's lying motionless on the floor, (laughs) and then his boss comes in, presuming him dead, and but he touches him. Why does he touch him? To because try to revive him, uh, to says, check his pulse. But, uh, he, but he says to him, you might have contaminated the whole building or something wrong with you? And he goes over and touches him. Yeah. Like, he might have contaminated the whole building. Like, that, the fact that he's in that room with Jensen and he's going to touch him, he's now potentially, con- you know, uh, exposing himself to lethal radiation. Well... If the whole building has already been contaminated, then it's too late to do anything about that. But you still can have compassion for your fellow human. Okay, well. And make sure they're alive. I think they're just far too loose with, with rules when it comes to He's handling. He's 14. What? God I feel like you him. and I are doing a little dance about attacking <laughs> this 14-year-old about his story writing abilities. <laughs> It was you a second ago who was poking holes in the government and and work and security. Well, you know, we swing both ways on this program. <laughs> Look at your hands, your face. What? Uh, I'm passing out. The the uh, boss who was so mean to him before is getting his just desserts. Passing out dead on the floor. Not only is uh, the guy. Uh, Je- um, Jensen, yep. um, not only is he gaining strength from the guy who touched him, he's also getting his intelligence. Yes. Now he is as smart as a scientist. Now that would be, if I couldn't hurt someone, like if I, if I could get their intelligence without hurting them, boy, would I like to be able to do that. I, could you imagine you, you, could, you could speak foreign languages just by touching someone's hand? You could speak, if they speak a foreign language, you could, you could absorb it instantly. You, you could know who can do that in the DC universe? Who? Starfire. Princess Coriander really? of the planet Tamaran. Really? Yes. Now, she prefers to get her language skills by kissing. Oh. That's how she learned English. Oh. French kissing Robin. French kissing? Well, I just assume Thank because you. she's kind of loosey-goosey that way, you know. <coughs> I heard my voice earlier doing a funny character. I heard you. And you had, had to, to stop and cough it out. Um, so now Jensen's trying to get through the lab but he discovers that he's weakening again yes he does quickly absorb the strength and then he burns through it very quickly luckily he stumbles into a room with many scientists in it and he is able to absorb all of their strength and intelligence now i've the strength of 20 men Actually, five, but that's okay. Well, right, 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 right. Yeah. But maybe these are like super scientists that they work out. They're totally jacked. Yeah. 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 With the mentality I stole from these men, I figured out this parasite power. <laughs> the radiation did more than scar my face and body. It turned me into an atomic furnace in minutes. I burn up all the energy a normal body has, but I can replenish it by becoming a human parasite. I don't think he's safe to be around. Uh, he's not. He's one hundred percent not. Yeah. Okay. 
by becoming a human parasite and draining it from others. I can live indefinitely, become super strong by sapping the strength of a whole crowd. I can be the world's mightiest criminal, but when people learn to avoid me and I can't recharge, uh, and I can't recharge my power, I'll be doomed. So he's got, he's figured out in that one paragraph how he can become the most dominant, evil, super villain mm-hmm. criminal yep. in the world, yep. but also his weakness. Yes. Um, he hasn't thought it through completely because if he is captured and sent to prison, they're still going to have to feed him Yeah. because they can't mistreat him in prison. So he would still have human. Unless they put him in a radioactive, um, radio, uh, radio, uh, God, what am I trying to say? A, a land containment, box. Uh, uh, yeah, containment that, but he couldn't be around other people. But they'd still have to like open the flap or and something, th- slide his food tray in and that's what he could unless get. Unless they put it through a chute. Or, you know, I have another idea. What? Um, hear me out. He could just get his energy from food like everybody else in the world has to do. But then he can't be super unless it's super food. But he could still rob. You don't have to be super to rob a bank. No, you if don't. that's what he's out for. No, you just have to talk like this real fast. Or, you know, he's radioactive. He can come and go into radioactive environments where they're apparently hiding the payroll. In mm. radioactive waste bins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm not sure he absorbed the smartest lights in the room. He absorbed all of his intelligence from scientists. They aren't criminals. Oh, good point. Unless they're evil scientists. Back to the story. Meanwhile, Meanwhile <laughs> in the office of Daily Planet editor Perry White, uh, Clark Kent's late to work, and he can't explain why, of course, because he was catching a falling plane. So Perry orders Clark over to the site of the hospital that Superman's building on the north side of town. Lois is already there, and she's going to get the scoop if Clark doesn't get there in time. So, of course, he changes costume and flies out. Well, he has to because it's, he has to appear as Superman to right. build the hospital. And, why is he, and then Jensen's in his room, calculating the strength that he absorbed from those men will last him a few more hours. They don't have to find some others to attack and steal power from. And they just wait a second, I'm feeling something. I feel stronger, immensely stronger. I feel power nearby, beyond belief, outside of the window. It's <gasps> Superman. Superman. So, of course, Superman. When he passed by, I was able to sap some of that strength and give him a terrific charge. Um, and he gave me a terrific charge. By stealing all his awesome energies, I could become invulnerable. Need with enough power to last me forever and the ability to conquer the world. So he now has devised his way to conquer the world. So he's going to the north side. It just so happens that he has a, a newspaper. A newspaper, there. of course. Extra, mm-hmm. extra, Superman to build new hospital on the aforementioned north side of Metropolis. B, yep. um, yeah. Do you have a problem with Superman demolishing an old tenement building? Getting the foundation and building the hospital yes. by himself. Yes, I do. He Doesn't he have more important things? I mean, I, I would say that Superman could be the front man for a fundraising or like he could help. He could like lay the golden spike or something like that. But does he really need to single-handedly remove the building, prepare the site, and build the hospital? Well, let's back up. He's destroying a tenement. Where are those people going to live? They In have the been hospital? moved to... A, a better new public housing Where project. does it say that? Uh, well, I have to... 14-year-olds don't think about these things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Also, you know what Superman can't do? Build a hospital. Oh, he could build a hospital. 
I have some problems with lifting up the building with one hand and it's not crumbling to pieces and destroying the crowd Thank around you. That's the him. first thing I thought about, but I wasn't going to say anything. Now, John Byrne in Fantastic Four Comics number 250 had uh, the character Gladiator, who's, you know, a stand-in for Superman. And he uh, theorized that the reason Gladiator could lift up a building by one corner was because he also had telekinetic powers. And so he was holding oh. the whole building together just with his I see. mental powers. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's no such explanation here for Superman destroying poor people's homes. We have to Probably going to build our, a freeway through there, too. We have to suspend so much disbelief to stay in this story, don't we? I'll say... Mm-hmm. Superman would never displace poor people. Him, a child of immigrants himself. No, of course he wouldn't. So Parasite's there, hiding in disguise with a fedora and a green trench coat. No one's going to recognize him. No. Or think he's suspicious. So he reaches out with his power to find Superman. He can sense Superman, but he can't see him. So Mm -hmm. he deduces that Superman is there in his secret identity of Clark Kent, mm-hmm. mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. And then he realizes that only Superman's strength could make him feel this great, and then he sees Clark Kent hunched over. All those people that have spent hours, days, months, years around Clark Kent and Superman. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Olsen, mm-hmm. Lois Lane, mm-hmm. the, what's the boss of P- P- Perry? Perry, Perry White. White. All these people. And they've never once put it together that Clark Kent and Superman are the same person. This parasite guy, just because he has this power, figures it out in a matter of seconds. Well, you've forgotten my theory. Everybody's so... Oh, everybody actually knows. Everybody knows, and they're just covering up. Going along with... So he can still be Superman. Anyway, parasites figured out that Clark is Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. This changes all his plans. He won't attack Superman now. He'll go into downtown Metropolis, rob and plunder, and when Superman tackles him on his terms, he'll have a secret hold on him. Mm. His identity. Mm -hmm. Clark's got to get away and switch to Superman and investigate. So he pretends that he's going to vomit, which he actually probably is. Yeah, he's he's so sick. He's super sick. (laughs) So he... uh, The hospital's already built, apparently in the split second that it took for him to sneak into the alley and change clothes. Yeah, and there's a lot of details that go into building a hospital. It's not just like a shell. Yeah, like what? Like um, hallways and corridors and um, HVAC systems and oxygen uh, delivery systems and interior plumbing, water systems, uh, restrooms, showers, laundry facilities. I mean, the damn hospital is ready to be opened. There's no way he did that in that time. Maybe it's all prefab. <laughs> Maybe he just, just modular. Modular, just okay. Let's put it all together. With that, yeah. So the mm. parasite has uh, rampaged through the town, mm-hmm. stealing money, and this is clever, running through the crowd so that he can steal the energy as he runs. He's getting stronger people, and stronger. And people are passed out all over the town. Mm-hmm. Superman uh, doesn't apprehend him, but comes upon him and orders him to drop the money bags. We know it's bunny money because it has dollar bill signs on the outside of the bags. Yeah, if I had drawn that, I would have drawn the money signs not exactly facing the front of the panel. I would have, 
I would have put like one, uh, like just different sort of angles. I would have disguised, if I was robbing a bank, I would disguise it as grocery sacks and I'd have all the money in the bottom of the sack and then like a stick of celery and a baguette. Yep. Celery and a baguette. Classic grocery trope. Yeah. (laughs) Superman orders him to surrender because he's no mood to waste time. No. Now. Superman now is starting to feel the effects of the weakening power. Oh, that's a really good battle ensues. And Parasite strips off his green trench coat. To reveal? A zipper, a zipper. up the front of his chest with no explanation. <laughs> so you said that you thought it was scar tissue. Oh, no, 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 no. I just said oh, uh, what, I, what I meant. That it, what I meant. For, I didn't mean to, to make you think that. I just, what I meant was that if there is a zipper, there's no way that's a suit because he, what he looks like with this outfit on is exactly what he looked like after he the accident. Right. So, so I don't know what that freaking blue stripe is for. It looks like a zipper, and I actually don't even know how it's secured around his neck. Like, well, that's why I wondered if he just had a very light leotard on that just went up to his clavicle. And then that would make sense. So that reminds me of something that I meant to tell you. Yes. So last night, you went to bed a little bit before I did, and I was watching I Dream of Genie. Mm-hmm. And it was the first season of I Dream of Genie. It was like probably the first or th- probably the second episode where, um, is it Major Nelson? Nelson stole Genie from Major... He- oh, Major Healy stole Major Genie. Healy stole yeah. um, Genie from Major Nelson. And there's a whole pool scene uh-huh. where Major Healy is getting a massage from a woman in a bikini. And she's wearing a top and a bottom. Mm-hmm. And there is black see-through netting between the top and the bottom. Like like sort of see-through-ish yeah. netting. And I thought it was very interesting because the very controversial thing about I Dream of Jeannie was that what could not be shown? Her navel. Her navel on television yes and so the girl who was wearing there was another girl who was wearing a one piece mm-hmm. but the girl who was wearing a bikini had like there's no way in hell that they designed this it was a top and a bottom with black like fishnet not quite not as risque as fishnet but bl- oh, black okay. sort of like like the, the veil material that you would use i can't read crepe Is yeah that, no, I, that's not what it's called no, i don't know just say tool, yes tool tool, tool? Twall, whatever. That's just sort of like you know, very very gauzy, mm-hmm. and it was black, mm-hmm. and it was weird, and it was like so apparent, and and I was like, oh, that's on there because you can't show the belly button, right? Maybe the stripe is on here because they can't show his belly button. I. Well, surely those high waisted shorts would hide his belly button anyway. And also, we've seen plenty of shirtless Superman panels. He doesn't have nipples. Are you saying I'm wrong? Well, I'm just saying it's easy to avoid in this situation because they just wouldn't draw the belly button as they don't draw nipples. Why would he wear a transparent nylon bodysuit? No, I'm not saying it's transparent. I'm saying it's the same color as his skin. Why would he go to the trouble of creating a bodysuit that's the same color as his skin? Because uh, he's got third-degree burns all over his body. Oh, and he's he just trying to soften little, the look? Yes, maybe he smeared himself with unguent and then put on the thing over top just to heal himself a little bit. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll buy that. Or maybe there's a zipper in the middle of his chest. You decide. I like the idea of smearing himself from head to toe in an unguent. I bet and you And covering do. himself with... 
a nylon body stocking that is the exact same color as the skin. Well, you know, Metamorpho has that weird costume, which oh, is not even a costume. So that's weird. That actually is his own skin. He just turns half his body orange and half his body purple, and then he puts on his black underwear, and uh, How about go. Ultra the Multi-Alien, whose foot is a lightning uh, foot rod? at least. Right? Who knows Isn't what's it? under those Isn't shorts? His foot, what is it? He has, a, he has a claw. He's got a lightning well, leg. Uh-huh, and, a, and a bird, and a bird leg. leg. Yeah. And a fur half and a twink half. To what? A twink. A twink. He's got a bear half and a twink <laughs> half. And a lightning leg. His poor Taylor. <laughs> he's not... He, what Taylor? He went down to Target and bought tidy whities That's his costume. Uh, tidy whities yes. I seem to remember they're they're not all one color. I mean, they might be one color. Oh, no, light, they are. Are they light blue? No, they're white. They're white? Yeah. Oh, what a... Why front? I... Listener... I am so sorry for this tangent. Please accept my sincere apology. Great Scott. He's slowly sapping Superman's energy and attacking oh him God. with his own power. It's so great if you had a lisp. He's slowly <laughs> sapping Superman's energy. <laughs> any power will sap your energy, Superman, leaving you weak and helpless. So anything that Superman does to protect himself or protect the city or stop him from robbing the money. Mm-hmm is going to just give Parasite more energy. I don't know what page you're on. Eight or nine? Nine. Okay. Parasite is pounding Superman's head into the ground. He tells him his plan. I will become invincible, invulnerable, immortal. But Superman's got a lot more moxie than this Parasite fellow realizes. Because Superman will not stay down. He will not stay down. Hate on me, hater, but you're not going to win. <laughs> the plan is backfired. Mm-hmm. How can I threaten to expose Superman's identity when I've weakened everyone within hearing into unconsciousness? Aha! Damn yes. my scientist's brain. <laughs> Luckily, here comes girl reporter Lois Lane. Probably here to cover my robberies. Or the murder of Superman. I don't know, Parasite. <laughs> there might be a bigger story in town than you. Well, he says I won't have to expose Superman's identity yet. She'll make a perfect hostage. Ha ha. A noise behind me. Eek! Just like a girl reporter. I hate the word eek. It's like she... No one ever says eek. Oh, sure. Ladies do all the time. Like when they see a mouse in the kitchen, they say eek, and then get up on a chair uh-huh. and tiptoe dance around. One time I was um, renovating a bathroom. Uh, yes, I was there. I was a witness. Do you remember when I when I took the, the tiles off the wall and uh-huh. a mouse came out of the yes. wall and it was like, hey, what are you doing? And the mouse said, hey. And I was like, no, no. And I grabbed a broom and I was like, rah, rah, rah. And then I felt awful afterward. You know what really would have made you feel awful? What? A wall full of mice creeping around at oh, night. That house had mice Chittering and... Gross. Uh, that was in Florida where everything is horrible. Everything is horrible in Florida. So... The parasite is about to do something awful to Lois, and what happens? Here comes Superman with the last ounce of his strength. He can't let him use the parasitic power on Lois. If I can just make it to the roof. And he grabs her. Oh! He grabs Lois roughly about the waist (laughs) and flings up into the sky with her, up to the roof of the building. How does she keep her hat on while he's flinging around? It's got to be pinned. Because oh. she gets in all kind of scrapes, and that hat never comes never off. Never comes off. It's a cute little orange skirt set she's got on. With you remember when she jumped hat. off the building and he flew her into a tra- in a garbage truck? Oh, is that the story where she had giant cat feet? 
Because she was up on the telephone wire with her cat feet. I think so. Yes. <laughs> Listen, Superman. I know your identity. Come down and battle me to a finish, or I'll expose it to the world. Now, this is where uh, I wonder if this is the real Lois. Because instead of saying, instead of jumping off the roof of the building to get the scoop of Superman's identity, <laughs> as a real reporter would do, she demands that Superman not go down there. When He's I read this strong enough. the first time, I was... I was um... I was starting to fall asleep. Right. Well, as as, as I do. per your usual. Well, I usually read on Sunday mornings, and you know, and I usually do a bunch of housework. And then, yes, thank and you. Then I, then I read. So anyway, no, 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 no. I mean, you go on work. You go to church, and I, and I sometimes go to church, and sometimes I just do housework. So anyway, right. so I was reading it, and I thought, I thought she said, you can't go down there, Clark. You're not strong enough. And I went, oh. oh. And I went right back, and I went, no, no, no. She did not say Clark. That's not, I just put that in my, in my head. Right. Yeah. Well, he says, Superman thinks she must have. Or he must have seen Clark Kent weaken yeah. at the hospital site. Yeah. Summoning the last vestiges of his remaining strength, Superman prepares to face his deadly foe. Lois says, please don't go. He's too powerful. She says it like that. Yeah, please don't go, Superman. He's too powerful. Oh, was she played by Andy McDowell? No, she's played by that uh, child actor in Superman 2. <laughs> please, sir, don't hurt my daddy. The Kansas farm boy. Please, sir, don't hurt my daddy. But no, Superman bravely says he's too powerful to remain unchecked. Goodbye, Lois. Uh, oh. The artwork in this story is pretty damn good. Is very good, but it's credited to Al Plastino. And I wonder if Kurt Swan didn't redraw the faces. Because that was a common practice in these days that they would have one artist do the main layouts but yeah. then they'd have the uh quote-unquote good artists come in and redraw the faces and these look very much like kurt swan faces to me that's very observant of you uh listener if you're hearing something that sounds like a stomach grumbling our beagle is sleeping in her bed right at my feet and she's all wrapped up in a nice blanket with her little teddy teddy bear and she's snoring like a longshoreman yeah she is but hey it's better than that than click 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 running around barking now, we're in trouble, populace, because Parasite has just realized that he's not only absorbed Superman's strength, but also his heat vision. Oh my god, that's right. He's firing heat vision at Superman. And he realizes he was a fool to run away from Superman, because with just a fraction of Superman's power, he has reduced Superman to near helplessness. And, he, and he, he's, so the parasite's hitting him, and he says, how can he survive these terrific blows? What can be holding him up when I've drained most of his power? What has he got that I ain't got? <laughs> Courage. Courage. Um, Superman is still looking for a weakness uh, in this parasite character. Mm -hmm. She's parasite in snore is, mode, by the way. I know. Parasite yeah. is ever more desperate. Yeah. He realizes he has to drain all of Superman's energy, thus killing him. Or the strength he's stolen will wear off and he'll grow weak again. Right. Superman runs away to the street. Taking it to the street. Tangledale, Tangledale. Parasite lifts up a car and throws it at Superman. Superman still is not giving up. He is so He just strong. has to get back to his feet. And then he makes his power play. You realize we've been watching or we've been reading one, two, three. Four, five, 
six, seven pages of fighting. Yes, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What page are you on? I'm on page 12. Superman is pretending to be weaker than he really is, mm-hmm. thus positioning himself to duck Parasite's knockout blow. And then he comes up for the knockout. Mm-hmm. Superman puts everything he has left into his final punch because he may not get another chance. And then if his waning strength holds out, he will follow up and end the fight. He launches himself across the sidewalk to tackle Parasite. But Parasite recovers and punches Superman. Because, of course, he's continuing to drain Superman's power. Right, 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 right. Now Superman's lying unconscious on the ground. And Parasite, in classic village villain manner, yes, says, uh, says all of his plans out loud. Yeah. First, I'll get revenge on the people who ordered me around. Then, I'll rob Fort Knox and Bank of England. And not being from Krypton, I don't have your weakness to kryptonite. I only absorb your raw power. I'm invincible. Now my power is breaking down the last barrier of your invulnerability. Your super mentality is becoming mine. Greedy eyes gleam as Superman's innermost secrets stream into the parasite's brain. Then suddenly his expression changes to one of stark fear. Oh, no. No, I must run. Get away from Superman. I have to flee before it's too late. Ah! That was an explosion. If you couldn't tell. (laughs) The parasite absorbed so much energy from Superman that he exploded into nothingness. Mm -hmm. And the earlier victims of the parasite slowly regained consciousness. Superman explains. He was beaten by his own greed. He had enough power to shake the world, but he wanted immortality too. He didn't realize that, though, his parasitic ability allowed him to sap my power. His body was still mortal. It was too frail to contain the awesome energies he absorbed. The end. It's an old Icarus tale. Flying too close to the sun. Or hubris. Mm -hmm. Greed. Don't worry, Parasite will return. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, yes. And in fact, then we'll return as several different people will have the power of the parasite. But this version will return at least up until 1985. Wow. And the crisis on infinite Earth. A long life. Now we have another story coming up. Don't forget. But first, here's this. A dream comes true for Miss American Teenager. It all started with a coupon clipped out of a magazine that started Lionel Ray Bass, a lovely blue-eyed blonde from Virginia Beach, Virginia, on the road to becoming Miss American Teenager 1966 at Palisades Amusement Park, New Jersey. Contestants in the nationwide Miss America Teenager contest are judged on the basis of beauty, poise, personality, good grooming, leadership, scholastic achievement, and community service. 
when she did, and immediately after her coronation, Lionel's first guest appearance was at Palisades Amusement Park, New Jersey, where she met Steve Lawrence, Connie Stevens, and Frankie Avalon. Returning home to Virginia Beach with her fabulous prizes, including fine jewelry and a dreamy wardrobe, she was given a heroine's welcome by the mayor. Some days later, Lionel greeted the first American flyers off the aircraft carrier Independence at the Oceana Naval Base in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Her next stop was Chicago, Illinois, where Miss American Teenager was guest of honor at the 47th Annual International Association of Amusement Parks Convention. Next came her fabulous Hollywood dream trip and a part in the Dr. Kildare television series with Richard Chamberlain and Ricardo Montalban. Other TV guest appearances followed on Never Too Young with Donna Lauren, The Lloyd Thaxton Show, and on Dating Game, where she dined with her date and their hosts, Sonny and Cher, at the famous Boss Club in Hollywood. And as youth ambassador for UNICEF, she joined Danny Kaye at the CBS television studios to launch a nationwide campaign on behalf of the Nobel Peace Prize winning United Nations Children's Fund. Now is the time for you to enter the 1967 Miss American Teenager Contest. You may be the lucky girl chosen to represent your area in the 7th televised annual national grand finals of the Miss American Teenager Contest at Palisades Amusement Park, New Jersey. No talent of any kind is necessary to compete. Contestants are judged in party dresses, not bathing suits, on the basis of beauty of face, figure, charm, poise, personality, attractiveness in the sense of good grooming, leadership, scholastic achievement, and community service. The Miss American Teenager Contest is open to all girls between the ages of 13 and 17 who are American citizens, regardless of race, color, creed, national origin, or economic background. This may be your chance to win fame and fortune in this nationwide competition that offers fabulous prizes, plus an opportunity for television stardom. Simply write Miss American Teenager Contest, Palisades Amusement Park, Palisades, New Jersey. It's old home week for Linda Supergirl Danvers when she returns to Midvale Orphanage for a reunion. But the fun and games include a dangerous guessing game. Dangerous for the Maid of Steel's secret identity, that is. Because a clever crook is on the verge of exposing our heroine's alter ego as he conducts the, the Supergirl, Supergirl Identity, identity hunt. hunt. Now, you will remember, going back to our first episode... Mm -hmm. My long-standing outrage that Superman discovers his discovers. Uh, well, let's back up. The last known survivor of his entire planet mm -hmm. and civilization, mm -hmm. who is improbably a blood relative. Yes, and he puts her in an orphanage. Yeah, instead of adopting her or yeah. or setting her up with the Kents. Yeah, mm -hmm. he tosses her. Well, in an the orphanage. Kents in this. Uh, Continuity. The Kents are dead already. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's you couldn't have known. Okay, uh, and so so instead of adopting her himself, right? Yeah, he throws it's, her into an orphanage. We've already seen that her entire identity has been uh, cleverly fabricated for purposes of putting her in the orphanage. Yeah, you could have just as easily said, "This is my cousin, whose parents were killed in a flood." Yes, across the country, and she could have stayed with to Lois. Live with me. Yes, and Lois. Lois is so stupid. She could, but she could still be Supergirl, and Lois would never know. Right? Actually, or you know, no, Lois is very clever. But you know who she be... could stay with? Who? Lucy Lane, who's always on stewardess duty. Oh, right. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Or anyone really? 
Just don't dump her in an orphanage. She could have sent her to Paradise Island with Wonder Woman. Like, honestly, I mean, what? as orphanages go, this one turns out a bunch of winners. I'll say. Yeah. Let's look at one day in early summer as Dick Malvern drives Linda Lee Danvers out to Midvale Orphanage. Well, there it is, Linda. The old homestead where we were raised until we got adopted. Now, I had relatives who grew up in an orphanage. Okay. I never once heard one of them talking about going back to visit. No. <laughs> no. I had a I had a cousin who, by one of my mother's marriages, <laughs> who grew up in an orphanage. Uh-huh. Yeah. They go back to visit a lot. No, it had a tragic ending, and it was very, very bad. Yeah, Yeah. same with mine. Yeah, yeah. The two young people, however, are welcomed by the headmistress, Mrs. Hart. Hi, Mrs. Hart, remember us? Oh, let me look at my record book, children. (laughs) Click, click, click. Now, are you children that had your real identities preserved, or were you falsified for purposes of adopting you illegally? Page 32. Oh, yes, of course I could never forget either of you. (laughs) Uh, As you know, every five years I invite some of the former residents of the orphanage for a little get-together. So this presumes that... Of course I remember you. Steve! Mary! (laughs) So good to see you. Um, I'm Dick. And I'm Linda. This presumes that it's been, then, less than five years since Linda was adopted because... This is the first reunion that we know of that she's coming to. Okay. So, how old is she? She's still in, is she still in college? She's in, uh, you know, I don't know if she's in high school or in college. Okay. You're staying the weekend, aren't you? I'll show you to your room. How horrible it is, is it that they come back to the orphanage and, and, they, and they stay as in guests their old in their rooms. own rooms. Where do the current orphans and stay? That's exactly what I thought. They must bunk up with somebody else. <laughs> in the cellar? <laughs> you know, that's what we had to do when we had company when I was growing up. What? You just sleep down to, in the basement? Yes, I had to give up my room. And we had this old, smelly, mildewy bed cot, in cot, the ba- no it was a bed but it was not very comfortable in the basement in the unfinished basement Ew. which was full of cobwebs and horror things yeah and uh it had one of those bedspreads it was like pepto-bismol pink uh-huh and you know those kind of bedspreads that are intentionally pilly yes on the top that's what it was oh my god those are the scratchiest and the worst and it was the bed was right beside the 1959 frigidaire lime green refrigerator oh my god which of course was awesome i wish i still had it it sounds like a horror basement and then beside that was the pool table Uh which i never knew in my life to be available for actually playing pool because it was piled high with boxes of junk and (laughs) but your parents did have magazines not in my lifetime that maybe that's how i was conceived but oh i was conceived on the water i was conceived on a raft wow like a puck fin situation uh, well, not a not a handmade raft, no, like a rubber raft, and like a lifeboat, kind of. I mean, it was it was a they were, it was a, an intentional activity. They were, they, but my mom and my mom and dad screwed on a, on, a, on the water and and conceived me. My mother said, "You." She told me all about my. Why conception would story. you tell why? Well, you, you're saying why? You know my mother. Oh, true, true, true. Thank you. Um, remember the fishnet story from earlier? Mm. Imagine that, but it's the whole top that's made of fishnet. That was one of the first, uh, probably the, the first. first time you met my mother, yeah. you saw her breasts. I said, Bob, this is my mother. 
And I said to you quietly, those are her breasts. And I said, mutual, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, I, you know, folks, NASCAR family, that's all I can say. So, by the way, speaking of lifeboats, have you been reading Mary Worth this past couple of weeks? Uh, I'm sorry. Mary Worth? Mary, uh, no. The I newspaper comic? No, no. Why would I read Mary Worth? Well, because Wilbur Weston got drunk and pretended he was Leo DiCaprio and fell off the cruise ship, and then he washed up on a desert island, and he's starving to death because he's a big fat slob. So he tries. now he's trying to shimmy up a coconut tree to get a coconut to save his life, and as he shimmies up the tree, he realizes he's on a resort island, and he steps from the bar. Oh, my God. What an idiot. I hope he goes to the bar and gets drunk again, and then his fiance. Well, they're not fiance because he asked Estelle to marry him, and she said no, and that's why he got liquored up and fell off the boat. Uh, so, uh, okay, um, because just, uh, uh, what do I? You know what I read every day, right? Um, not the newspaper comics. I, I read the Chronicle of Higher Education, yeah, uh-huh. which I call the Chronicle of Doom. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, that's what I. You read. know, they should put comics I new, in there. A new issue every week. They should put King Feature comics in there. To spice things up. I read an article today about somebody who was a wonderful um, scholar, and, and um, she was a theology professor, and um, she was a chancellor of a of a, um, a chancellor uh, of a university, mm-hmm. and um, she got Alzheimer's disease. It's really sad and beautiful article, and I was just like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that's why I call it the Chronicle of Doom. <laughs> yeah, you know who didn't get Alzheimer's or liquored up. Who? Susan Meadows, the I'm famous actress. I'm so glad you brought actress. us back to the story. Sorry, uh, folks. She also came from Midvale Orphanage. If there is a listener still hanging on by now. She oh is <laughs> so successful as a stage actress. She has to wear her gowns and furs. And she has a limo with a driver. Who's wearing at her beck and call. driving boots? Driving Jodhpurs and riding well, boots, Well, Jodhpurs yes. are the pants that come out. They the are. Look at his right hand. Oh, His pants right? are sticking yeah. out. Yeah. Now what? Here comes a helicopter. Hello, I chartered this chopper to get me here. Superman promised to pick me up tomorrow and fly me to the dentist's convention in Metropolis. Superman's going to take this dentist? Yes, well, it's Dr. Small, head of the Dental Association. Yeah. He was a Midvale orphan, too. <sighs> Quite a group of graduates you have here, says Mr. Nosy. Oh, that's Dr. Small. Mm-hmm. I think I remember this young lady from news photos. Yes, Linda won the Miss Universe contest. Yes, remember the interplanetary beauty (laughs) contest that Linda was entered in by Dick? (laughs) That would make the news, I think. They'd flip if they knew my biggest claim to fame, that I'm actually Supergirl. (laughs) Tee-hee-hee-hee. Let's move along. Another of Mrs. Hart's former charges arrives. It's Philip Raines. You're in business in Star City, aren't you? Star City, that's home of Green Arrow. That's right. That's right. Now, you're in business. Let's put that in quotes because that's right, Mrs. Hart. I'm in costume jewelry. Here, I have a bunch of charm bracelets for you and the other ladies and cufflinks for the men. Whoopee. Great. Well, look at this charm bracelet. Thanks for the junk. The bracelets all have Supergirl charms on them. Mm-hmm. A little statue of Supergirl, her insignia, and her super cat, Streaky. Everybody knows about Streaky the super cat? Yeah. Why wouldn't they? A cat flying around the sky in a cape? Who would? That would make the news. I guess. <laughs> so Linda's brought to her old room. This is the, the, the one that I think is so creepy. 
What memories this brings back of the day I landed on Earth and Superman, my first cousin, the only other survivor of my home planet that's at normal size and not shrunken at a bottle city, brought me here to the orphanage to live alone. <laughs> I love you. I love that so good. Uh, Mrs. Hart is looking at her with this with this benign, beautiful, like this, this not benign, that's not the word. I'm, oh, God, it's a B word. Beatific. 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 Beatification, be yeah, be mm-hmm. be look, she's adoring her. She Here, you'll stay me. in your old room, Linda. Linda, who was an orphan. Brought here by your cousin, Clark Kent, a wealthy reporter in Metropolis. Really? I, if I were to say what he did, was he abandoned you? <laughs> you, he, the only other survivor of the planet that you came from. She reminds me of an older Ginger Rogers kind of kind face. Yeah. So, at another door. Yeah, Philip's getting ready to take a shower. Philip Rains. Yeah. Uh, when he, he says, I need to take a shower before dinner, but he really means something else. He really means he needs to take his jacket off and show us, the reader, that what he has under his jacket is a complete built-in transistorized radio. With wires and everything. Yes, his tie clips, the tuner, and his cufflinks are the mic and earphone. You know what he needs. <laughs> Hello? Hello? I'm doing a gesture. <laughs> Holding one wrist up to my mouth. What, what does he need? He needs a lexophone. A little portable yeah. lexophone. Yeah, he sure does. So he's talking to his uh, boss, yep. a fact finder, who is a blackmailer. Mm-hmm. He reports that he did give out the cufflinks and bracelets, like you said. Good. Now keep your eyes peeled for evidence as to which of the girls there is Supergirl. My research investigation traced her there a few years back. Once we know her identity, we'll move in for the big play. Oh, Philip. Time Time for for dinner. Whatever he wanted to do, he didn't have time for it because she's knocking on the door. Soon in the backyard of the orphanage. I wonder if Manly Stan is still at the orphanage. The name like that, he probably is. He was rejected. Mm -hmm. Well, that was an imaginary story. He was rejected for evil Superboy. Okay. Remember? No. No. Well, you'll have to go back. I mean, it's gray. It's just sort of like a foggy memory, but I I just want to move on. I went down a tangent that wasted a lot of time. So aren't the current orphans sweet? They insisted on cooking and serving the meal themselves. I bet, bet they, they did, did Mrs. right? Hart. Mrs. Hart was like, when they get you, you're going to come and you're going to make the dinner. So Philip Raines notices that there are several girls. Any of them could be Supergirl. Just then, as Air Force Major Wood, presumably also a former orphan, tunes in his portable TV set. So they're all sitting down for dinner, and he and brought he his television his- set. It's like a. It's not. You're not. It's not what you're thinking, reader. It's not an iPhone that he's. Oh streaming. hell no! It's a full on like sixteen sixteen inch, inch television. television set, portable with battery and such. Watching it at the table. Yeah, and look at this. This picture was relayed from the U.S. space mission orbiting the moon. It shows Captain Jerry Hall's adrift in space after his lifeline snapped during his spacewalk to drop a flag to the moon's surface. Quick guns, poor Jerry. First of all, they're not landing on the moon, but they are going to do a spacewalk to drop a flag onto the moon. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even notice that when I first yeah. started. That's absurdly stupid. Yeah. Yeah. 
his compressed air gun, which he uses for maneuvering, is jammed, and the capsule can't go to him because it barely has enough fuel for the return trip. I think this whole mission was badly planned. Yeah. Who throws a flag at the moon? <laughs> I mean, honestly, who throws a flag at the moon? Well, you know who could throw a flag at the moon? Supergirl. Supergirl or Superman, and they apparently have enough time to come and pick up a dentist and fly him to the dentist convention. And not even miss the first course. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, but Superman's away, apparently. Well, he's so, doing something uh, important. Supergirl so she, and then they're, they're still making dinner, so she, yes. she uses her super inhalation to create a smoke screen, screen around everyone and quickly changes form, runs, flies up to the moon. Unfortunately, <laughs> the moon is surrounded by kryptonite. Which is bullshit. Well, well I'll, I'll agree to disagree. Okay. So she takes the flagpole, yes. then uses her super pressure uh -huh. <laughs> to draw the metal of the flagpole out to a great length, yep. pushes the astronaut back toward the space capsule, yep. and then plants the flag, which is what she should have done in the first place, and then flies back to Earth just in time before, actually, before the food is served. Yeah. Yes. She could have saved everyone a lot of trouble by just volunteering to take the flag in the first place. I suppose so. But then what would they have spent that money on? Uh, portable TV sets for every child in America. <laughs> like we have now, all they're called phones. So the news has reported that Captain Hawes was just rescued by Supergirl. Philip Rain says, Supergirl, eh? And she did it just when the smoke kept us from seeing if one of the girls here changed identities. Suddenly, Elaine, who happens to be blonde, stumbles out of the woods, saying that she was blinded by the smoke and wandered off. But I'm okay now. I have a friend named Elaine that I happen to believe that that would happen to her <laughs> very easily. Yes. She would definitely wander off. Um, now, the exciting news is that tomorrow there's going to be a treasure hunt. Each of the new orphans will team up with one of the current orphans. Does the winner get adopted? <laughs> Except for the one who hides the treasure chest, which Philip volunteers to do. Yes. So of course we know he's evil because he has an evil mustache. Yes, he has a little pencil thin mustache mm -hmm. like uh Clark Gable. Yes. So he's got the perfect setup. He's going to give a clue to Elaine Sterling who he now suspects as Supergirl. And he's going to hide the treasure in this quicksand that I remember from my boyhood at the orphanage. <laughs> quicksand. I love that quicksand has come back into play. Why would you know about quicksand outside the grounds of an well, orphanage? Well, because when you're an orphan, when you're an orphan, you do everything you can just to get away from the orphanage. So you spend a lot Including of time outdoors. Kill yourself? Did he not tell anyone that there was quicksand outside the orphanage? Uh I don't know. I did the groundskeeper not ever walk around i wonder if there's any quicksand on the grounds that a child could be killed in i i personally have never encountered quicksand well this orphanage doesn't sound like very much fun if you ask me <laughs> sounds like a blast you could die at any turn making dinner walking around on the you know on, on, the, on the property so early next morning the treasure hunt begins yes linda's teamed up with uh sharon and they've got their clue. Mm. And Elaine's teamed up with Cindy. 
And their clue says, through the wilds to a place that's clear. Walk right in and have no fear. It's like almighty Isis. <laughs> she finds the quicksand and walks right in, just as of course instructed. she does. Oh, no, quicksand. Stay back, Cindy. I'll go for help. <laughs> Whatever happened to quicksand? Do you remember on TV in the 70s, quicksand it was, was like... everywhere. We've talked about this in this podcast I know before. we yeah. have. Yeah, I do miss quicksand. I mean, I, I miss that it, it was just always... It was in Gilligan's Island. Yes. It was in uh, cartoons. It was... It just, I mean, every sort of 1970s action show. I probably had it in Charlie's Angels one time. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And you know what else I was reminded of today that was everywhere in the 70s and now has disappeared? Spontaneous human combustion. Oh, yeah. What's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. Huh. It was happening, like, daily in the 70s, and now hmm. nothing. Hmm. We don't have anything good anymore. <laughs> Just a global pandemic. Uh, and a costume switch. Who, so, who snores yes. so loudly. Now, Linda has found her treasure with Sharon. Yeah. And then she hears Elaine shouting. Help, help. Uh, so Linda runs off to get some help, quote-unquote, and goes and rescues Elaine. And then uh, Philip witnesses that. So there goes that theory. Elaine can't be Supergirl because Supergirl mm-hmm. just rescued her. Mm-hmm. So the other boys in the gang can scratch Ethel Harris off the list because somebody was watching her. Mm-hmm. But they lost sight of Linda Danvers and Janice Tyler stayed at the orphanage to watch the little babies in the nursery. Okay. So... Now, Supergirl gets wise, and she is listening in on these crooks. Right. She sees that they're going to go check through the records because they have some handwriting of Supergirls, an autograph, and they're going to compare it to all the records of the girls that they suspect. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, Superman thought of that. He taught Linda always to disguise her handwriting when she's in her Linda identity. But just in case, she fakes some more documents to make them think that Janice's writing is the same as Supergirl's. She's setting up Janice. Why wouldn't he teach her to disguise her writing as Supergirl? Because I would think she'd be doing a lot more writing, writing as, as Linda. Linda. Yeah. Book reports and such. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess whatever you want, Superman, I guess you know best. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave her Don't at the question orphanage. him. It's no. okay. Uh, Philip rushes into the nursery to warn Janice that Mrs. Hart had a bad fall while inspecting the basement fallout shelter. Okay. And Janice uh, runs down to rescue Mrs. Hart and sees that there's no one in the fallout shelter, but the fallout shelter door slams shut and Phil has cut off the air supply. But, okay, problem. Yeah. If you cut off the air supply, he, she should barely be able to hear him through the door. She'd have to hear him through solid, airproof surfaces. Well, he's cut off the air supply, but there still is air inside. There. Yes, but if, oh, the, I see if no saying. new air can come in, that right, means right, that right, there's right. no way for the sound to travel. So it had, the sound has to travel through a solid object that can that can conduct the sound. True. And so, you know, when I read that, I was thinking, um, can't have a problem with this. Well, the good news is that Janice is Supergirl. Okay, she busts she, through the yeah, door. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've thought all of these issues that Linda Danvers was Supergirl, but no, it's been Janice the whole time. The whole time. Um, so Janice flings him up into the air. This is the fact finder now. He's the boss. He's mm-hmm. come to rake in the millions. Yep. They call me fact finder and blackmail is my game. 
I set out to track down your identity, and all the trails led right here. Mm -hmm. Before you were known to the world, there were mysterious superdoings here. Obviously, your work. With your superpowers, you can pay plenty to keep us from spilling your secret. But look at this. She faked the evidence. She rips off that black wig of Janice and it's Supergirl underneath, and out the window, there's the real Janice talking to Dick Malvern. <laughs> Supergirl warns him that she'll be watching from now on, so don't try any more of your dirty blackmail schemes, mister. However, he says, oh they've deduced, yeah. yeah, this has got to be Linda Danvers. She's so, the only one left. Yeah, so when the others return from the treasure hunt, the dinner is served. Um, with Reigns' friend invited. She goes, Ow! This wisdom tooth is killing me! Huh? She can't have a toothache if she's... Relax, it's a bluff. Luckily, here's Dr. Small, the dentist, back from his dentist... Oh, no, I guess he hasn't left for the convention yet. Yeah. Uh, come into the infirmary, Linda, and I'll have a look at that tooth. Uh, all right, Dr. Small. Now, the uh, blackmail fact finder thinks that she's in for it now because he thinks it's the dentist is going to examine her mouth and find that her teeth are invulnerable mm -hmm. and nothing can be done. However, a few minutes later, well, this is the tooth that was giving you all the trouble, Linda. They're eating. Also, it's a wisdom tooth. You don't just walk into the back room and pluck out a wisdom tooth with pliers like he did just here. Well, you, you actually can, but you know, you'd have to give her some Novocaine. Right. I mean, you could they would do have the procedure in a matter of 20 minutes. Well, they would have finished dinner by then. Well, their plates are empty, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> okay, it's, it's highly improbable that you're going to walk out with a tooth in a pair of dental pliers and show everybody. Right. And by the way, it doesn't look like that. It looks like he's holding a squid. And also, if he would put her under, she'd have to be still... No, you don't put somebody under to remove their wisdom tooth. You don't have to. They often do, but... Now, I know you had your wisdom teeth pulled in a situation where they would have refused to put you under. Right, right. In well, a normal place and time, The top like ones I were did. pulled out, just pulled out. Well, I mean, I was awake for the whole thing. No. They pulled, they pulled them out. No. And the bottom ones were impacted, so they had to drill and chisel and stuff like that, and I was awake for all that. I was put under. I well, I should have I been had, put under. I had one. to count down from 10, and then when I woke up, it was like that kid on that video. Is this real life? <laughs> <laughs> so, we, we were really bothered by this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, bringing out the, the white squid in a... Because the, the, the roots don't look like that. <laughs> like a claw. Well, maybe Kryptonian roots. Maybe Kryptonian too. roots. You don't know. Uh, luckily... Dr. Small has already been flown to the dentist convention, and this is Superman in disguise. So, of course, he could help her fake this whole thing. Why didn't they just punch him to the moon, fact finder? Just like, you know, they, they went through all that. He had to make a fake tooth. He had to come up with a disguise. He had to do, they had to plan this all-sophisticated thing. She had to do those disguises. She had to fake records. Why didn't she just punch him to the moon? Well, because that would kill him. <laughs> yeah. And Superman doesn't kill. Oh, the stories would be so much better if they did that. Second of all... What if he just didn't have that kind of time? He doesn't have time to fly a flag to the moon. What, how is he going to find the time to punch someone to the moon? Oh, he has time to make an, uh, He has time to fly the dentist to his dental convention, make a mask and a fake tooth, and do it all in time for this giant ruse around dinner with the wisdom tooth. Now, there's nothing that 
in the text here that says that it was a fake tooth. Maybe he pulled a tooth from someone else? Yes, it does. Where? Hold the wire. It says, she says, your dentist act sure put our nor, hopes uh, Nor that I told you my problem via super ventriloquism oh, and see, you see, prepared see, that okay. disguise and fake tooth, Superman, thanks. That's the last panel I was skimming by then. Oh, I read it. I remembered it. My pleasure, Linda. You can have a real holiday with your friends and the orphan kids. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> now that you're rid of that phony toothache and a couple of genuine pains in the neck. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Superman won't just stay and have dinner with us. I bet the orphans would really like to see us. <laughs> Do they ever spend time together as a family? Superman and Supergirl? Yes. No. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. <laughs> thank you so much for helping me with this. Uh, thank you so much for helping me with that really bad crisis. Thank you so much. Oh my God, but you can stay for dinner when you don't leave. Not even for her sake. Cousin. Don't you think these little orphans would like to spend an afternoon with Superman? You think, but you know, he's, got a, he's probably got some crazy scheme to follow up with next. Probably got to fly someone to a dental appointment. <laughs> Pick up a prescription at the old Walgreens. Sorry, Lois's mother has a podiatrist appointment, so <laughs> I gotta go. Well, yes. What did you think of our 150th episode? I think so far. I have some apologizing to do for going on my tangents. I'm sorry. That's this what draws long. people here. God, I hope so. But we're not done yet. We've got a dramatization coming up. Wait. Chapter two of Three Girls, Their Lives, Their Loves. Oh, I can't wait. Right after this. Hello, girls. It's me, Jill Taylor. I just had a date with the most fantastic looking guy in the world. Tall, dark, and handsome. Really, he was unbelievable. His name was John H. And after a swinging evening at a fab discotheque, Arthur, then dinner at the Four Seasons, we got to talking about you. That is, other girls. Like all men, he likes certain things in women. I thought it might be interesting and fun if I turned this spot over to John and let him tell you what he thinks about you. After all, who knows most about pussycats than tigers? So here he is. Don't be too hard on him, girls. <laughs> Hello, girls. As Jill told you, I'm going to give away some pretty big secrets that us guys have been keeping for a long time. But Jill is so sweet, I just had to help her out. So here goes. When I take out a girl, I want her to be female. That is, to look and act like a girl. I expect her to be able to carry on a conversation. After all, I always look for this quality in a girl first. It's the most important part of her personality. Next, I want her to be pretty. Now, this is something that's very interesting in a woman, because you can never tell if she's really beautiful unless you spend anything with her. Now, what I mean as beautiful is both physically and mentally. Usually, I don't care if she doesn't measure up to a movie star, but I do expect her to be neat and tidy looking. I guess that's about my biggest beef when it comes to women. I don't like a girl to look as if she's been stuck together with glue. You know what I mean. Hair all teased and lacquered to the hilt. Eye makeup that looks as if she's painted it on. Lipstick that is gummy and most of all skin that looks as if it was sprayed on with cement. Once I see that in a girl, I don't see her again. As far as clothes go, 
I think a girl should dress to please her date, not her girlfriend. Most girls believe that fashion magazines and wild styles get a man's attention. <laughs> well, they do. But usually the impression that we get is not very flattering to you. We may think the girl who dresses like this is a cute chick, very modern, a real go-go girl. We consider this type fun for a few dates and perfect for discos. But when it comes to marriage and getting serious with a girl, we look more for the stable-minded type, the kind that makes a good homemaker and a mother. It's true that all girls are more modern today, but if you look at the boys' side of things, you'll realize how important first impressions are. After all, a boy has to see the girl, kind of size her up, before he asks her for a date and before she meets mother. Blind dates are different, of course, and you'll find most guys vote nicks on these. Boys like to know exactly what they are getting into. Once I take out a girl, I think she's tops if she smiles a lot, even if she's having an awful time. It means so much when the girl you like is having a real swing in time. I admire a woman who has consideration, as all guys do. For instance, if you have a problem, she'll always lend you an ear and some understanding. But I can't stand a little hypocrite. That is, someone who says she understands and then tries to give you all kinds of phony advice. Us fellows find it more than interesting to date a girl who's intelligent. But we don't like to date a girl who we feel insecure with. Mm -mm. You'll find if you act dumb, boys don't go for that for very long. On the other hand, if you act like Lady Einstein, we'll never call you for another date. <laughs> so, if you're really smart, you'll try to find a happy medium. Girls like Jill are very popular. Oh, John. She finds a way of making you feel as if you're the most important thing in life when you date her. Other girls I've known have overdone the popularity bit. I remember taking a girl to a football game once. She spent the entire time pointing out all of her friends and waving to everybody she knew. You can bet I never saw that chick again. I guess just, that's just about all I can think of right now. Except, I'd like to ask Jill for another date. John, John, my listeners and I thank you. Well, pussycats, that's what a real tiger thinks about you. You've got a lot to work on if you found any faults in what John has said. Just remember... Being beautiful is simple. All it takes is a little practice. And a little practice will find you a perfect boyfriend. Love ya, Jill. Previously on Three Girls, Their Lives, Their Loves. I'll bet the story you didn't tell me is a lot more fascinating than the story you did tell. Maybe. But that's all you're going to hear. Well, if you ask me... That girl's trying awfully hard to forget something, and I'll bet it's a man. You can say that again. It's always a man. How do you do? I'm Phil Preston, Sandy's friend. I, I'm falling in love with Phil. What else was left for me to do after that but to leave Cedar Grove and the horrible memory of Phil? You've got to believe me, Sandy. Every word I've told you is true. For your own good, you must believe me. I know you wouldn't lie to me, Marion, but I love him and trust him. I loved him and trusted him, too. 
He wants something from you. It's a trap, I tell you. A trap! And now, episode two of Three Girls, Their Lives, Their Loves. A true life expose revealing the secrets of three beautiful career girls. Fashion editor Chris Mason, model Sandy Sims, and advertising executive Marion Tyler. Sharing a penthouse in glamorous New York City. As we open the door to Penthouse 5. Boy, the look on you two gives this place all the cheerfulness of a funeral parlor. Very funny. Very funny. Well, now that this business about Phil is out in the open, let's stop acting like a bunch of sour grapes. You can joke about it if you like, Chris. After what Phil has done to Sandy and me. Oh, come off it. You're carrying the tragedy bit a little too far. That was over for you a long time ago. All right. It may be over for me, but the heartbreak is still very real. By now, Sandy must know exactly what it's like. Then let's get it out in the open. Sandy... What happened between you and Phil after we left? I sat there like a rag doll, my head spinning in so many directions. And then I heard Phil's voice calling me. Hi, doll. Sandy, don't you feel well? The next thing I knew, we were in Phil's car. What's the matter, darling? Speak to me. Finally, words came to me. Do you love me? I've got to know. Yes, you know I do. Poor Phil. He must have thought I was crazy or something. I believe you. I honestly believe you love me. Please, Sandy, don't act like this. Oh, but I had to know because of what your ex-fiancé, Marion, told me. I expected him to make all kinds of excuses, but instead... Whatever Marion said was true. <laughs> I used her. And when I didn't need her information, it was all over. But, 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 why? What could have made you do it? That's the most senseless part of it all. I wanted to be a partner in the company I worked for. But I couldn't afford to buy in. So you used the information she had and got the partnership that way? Yes. You must know my father is a very wealthy man, so you, you must know all about the money I'm going to inherit. Don't you need that for your company, too? No, no. Why not? You made Marion fall in love with you to get something out of her. N- 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 now you're, you're pulling the same trick on me, aren't you? Aren't you? When he took me in his arms, I knew that it was true that he wanted my love and nothing more. Sandy, you can't mean you actually believed the, the, that Fink. I, I... She's had enough warnings. It's her own life. Let her live it as she thinks best. As I know best. Okay. I promise I won't butt it anymore. You're an angel, honey. Wow, look at the time. I've got to interview Coco Devon, the wealthy socialite aboard her yacht. Coco Devon? What a swinging assignment. I hear her famous yacht is always brimming over with celebrities. And movie stars. Come on, don't keep us in suspense. Clue us in. 
Well, she's going to be modeling clothes by Igor Casino for my magazine, Fashion World. She'll have some of her friends around doing the same bit. Meanwhile, I'm supposed to interview Queen Coco, and she's sending her chauffeured limousine just to pick me up. You fashion editors sure have it tough. Better take your seasick pills with you and life preserver. After all, those old boats are very shaky. That old boat you're talking about is only a million-dollar floating palace. That's for me. Please get it, somebody. Uh, Madame Devon's limousine for Miss Mason. See you around, peasants. Well, I'm still a working girl. I've got to get to the studio. Me too. Big advertising campaign to get out. We rejoin Chris Mason aboard the Magenta. Coco Devon's floating palace. Welcome aboard, Miss Mason. I am Marco, Miss Devon's secretary, and this is the designer, Igor Casino. Oh, hi! I've been dying to meet you, Mr. Casino. Fashion World is delighted to have your fab designs on its pages. Oh, yes, the lovely editor of Fashion World. You're a very kind, but my fashions are sensational. Lovely Coco will stand against the wind, wearing my sailing disco dress. It is my most famous go-go ensemble. Every woman in America will be dying to wear my creations. Marco, where is Miss Devon? The photographers will be here soon. I really should see her before they arrive. I'll say what's detaining her. Thanks, you're an angel. Coco! Coco, love, we're waiting for you on deck. No, send them all away. I'm not coming out. Please, Coco, be reasonable. At least let me in. Coco, love, all these people are waiting for you. Igor Casino, reporter Chris Mason. I, I don't feel well. I have a headache. But darling, you look sensational. So young, beautiful. You don't look ill at all. Do, do you really mean that, Marco? Of course. Now be a good girl. We're all depending on you. All right. For you, my darling Marco. I don't like that, Chris Mason. Half a cent away. But beautiful Coco. She is the editor of Fashion World magazine, after all. She dreamed up the entire project. You can't just send her away. It would be impossible. The photographers are here to take pictures of me in Igor Casino Originals, not this Mason girl. Anyone can write the interview. Love, please reconsider. Darling, you know when Coco makes up her mind, no one can change it. Yes, love, as you wish. I'll have Chris Mason sent away. Good. In that case, I shall be on the deck in five minutes. Marco, Marco, what did she say? When can I interview her? This time, Coco has gone too far. I can't send Chris away. But just a little headache. She'll be here any minute. Oh, great. I'm just dying to meet her. But as Coco Devon makes her entrance on deck, her eyes notice only one face. Oh, Miss Devon, I'm so happy to meet you. We leave the turbulent scene on Coco Devon's yacht and head cross town to Madison Avenue. Jed, let's see how far you've gotten with the designs for the La Femme perfume account. Check, boss. 
These designs are bound to make any woman flip for la femme. I've already flipped, and it's not for la femme. Now, as I see it, we start the campaign across the states. Give it top-bill treatment. I think this'll get the idea across. With la femme, you're a knockout. Without it, you're dishwater. Clear and simple. Chad, I think you've underestimated today's woman. What? Are you kidding? I've been out with enough of them to know just how they think. Believe me, every chick feels the same way. They all want to get married. Sure, every woman wants to get married, but today's woman is different too. She's more youthful, livelier, has more freedom. Jed, your designs are not in tune with today's chick. They're old-fashioned. Bob is right. Jed's designs are they're old-fashioned. But a woman is supposed to agree with the man she loves. Well, it's up to you, boss. I know my women, don't I? Miss Tyler, a Mr. Sims from Cedar Grove is here to see you. I'm sorry I interrupted, but he said it was urgent. Put him in my office. I'll be out in five minutes. Why do I have to be the boss lady? Why can't I be like other women? As for your designs, they are off course. I'm afraid you'd better get a new angle. See me after lunch. Hello, Mr. Sims. It's good to see you again, my dear. Forgive the interruption, but it really couldn't wait. You see, I know my daughter Sandy is in trouble. I know she's been seeing Phil Preston, and I'm here to make sure she stops immediately. If you want her to stop seeing him, why don't you come right out and tell her? Marion, I know it may be painful, but I want you to tell my daughter Sandy all about Phil Preston. I... I already have. Every last ugly detail. But she insists she's in love with him. Nothing I can say will stop her from seeing him. But you're her father. Surely she'll listen to you. Sandy has made up her mind not to take any of my advice. My little girl has decided to live her own life... She refuses to accept any of my money. She won't even see me when I come to New York. Perhaps it's because you refuse to accept her as a woman. To you, she's still a little girl, incapable of making any decisions without the help of her father. Forgive me, I... I didn't mean to sound rude, but... But you think I should let my little girl be fooled by that no-good Phil Preston? You and I both know he's after Sandy's money, no matter what he says. Would you break your own daughter's heart? Destroy her happiness? Yes, I'll do anything. And if I can't make Sandy give up that gold digger, I'll make him give her up. What, what are you going to do? I'll offer Phil Preston the one thing he can't resist. The one thing he loves more than anything. Money. More money than he's ever seen. Oh, no. Does Phil love Sandy enough to resist money? Does he indeed? And how will Coco Devon react to pretty Chris Mason? Find out next time. I need the sunlight shining, shining down to help me see. Make it shine, make it shine, make it